So we, we're starting week two, or on week two, of Word on Fire. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter four and verse four. We're going to get into the Word of God here. And um, uh, the, the, the fun thing about the getting into the Word of God, the fun thing about just kind of exposing the Word of God for our hearts is it really should take fire. It really should be something that we go, man, I, I got something out of it. I really, I really walked away with something that empowers me and impassions me to live life differently. And here there's words written. These are words of Jesus. We'll talk about the context in which, which they're written here in just a second. Um, but they're pretty powerful words. And he's talking to the adversary of God or who, who we call Satan or the devil. And he says these words, and I think there's something that we can hang on and live with today. He says, it's written, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, the backstory here is obviously Jesus was tempted. He was, he was in the Judean desert, and if you look at the screen, there's a picture of the literal Judean desert, or that's the uh, little brief video that I took while I was there a few years ago. That's what it looks like, these hills that are kind of broken and the desert land that's there. You can see how it could get incredibly, uh, you could get incredibly isolated in a space like that. We think a desert, kind of those long plains that you might see in Arizona, it's a little different uh, here in Israel. But Jesus, after he'd been baptized by John, uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He went without food in that, in that desert for 40 days and 40 nights. A little bit of water that might have come from the streams would have sustained him over that time frame. During that, that, that fasting period, the adversary of God, Satan, came to him and said, if you're hungry, why don't you turn this little rock into bread? You, you're, you're the powerful God of the universe do something to fix your hunger pains. And this is where Jesus pipes up and he says, listen, it's written, it's established word, it's established in the gospel that man should not live by bread alone, that we should not live just by mere sustaining factors of this life, but we should live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a key here that we can look to that even in our most desolate time, even in times where we feel alone, even in times where we feel isolated, whether we're, we've, we've sanctioned ourselves off on purpose by our own will or not, however it's happened, uh, that we know that the word of God is what makes the difference. That we know that the word of God coming from the mouth of God is the one thing that sustains us. Today we're gonna look at a few keys in how this word of God can take fire in our heart, how the word of God, how the words of Jesus can be a motivating factor for our future. There's different keys to unlocking the power of the word of God, but they all hinge on this very simple idea that what Jesus has done through the cross paved the way for our victory. It paved the way so these words actually have merit and they work. That these words that we preach and we talk about, that we read and that we study, that we mill over and that we are discipled through, the reason they are treasure to us. The reason they are, as the Bible says, a light into our path is because of what happened at the cross. The full power, the total power of the word of God didn't come into realization until Jesus died on that cross. There's something in the word of God that's a sustaining power. As Jesus said, it's written that we shouldn't live simply by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father there's something about the word of God that should motivate us and guide us and it keeps us on our path. 
There's something about the Word of God that, that keeps us inspired, it keeps us excited, and it keeps us motivated. It sustains the literal life-giving factor of who we are. So there's a couple of points that I want to run to today or run through today. The first one is the Word of God presents opportunities and responsibilities to us. So many of us look at the Word of God uh, at times as just the opportunity side. Well, God said it in his word, so he's going to do it. I believe him. I take him at his word. So all of these promises are mine. And we're quick to run to the promises. Sometimes we put God in a box. It's a genie box. It's more like the little genie in a lamp. And then if we use the word of God the right way, then he has to come through. He has to do what we've asked him to do. And we put him into subjugation to our will rather than the other way around. And that's not how the word of God works. Other times we fail to take responsibility in the word of God. When it directs us to do something, we back off and we want to we wanna give maybe reason why we shouldn't or reason why that particular scripture doesn't apply to us. Like when he says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't like those verses. Nobody likes those verses. Nobody likes the verses that say you should turn the other cheek when you're assaulted. Nobody likes the verses that say that you should bear all for the sake of the gospel, that you should endure all for the sake of this gospel. Nobody likes those verses, but they're still commandments and responsibilities from our God. The word challenges us to grow. It's not only milk to infants, as the Bible says, but it's also meat to the mature. In fact, Paul was talking to a church like ours, and he says, you haven't even gotten past the milk of the word, so how can I give you the meat? You'll choke on it. You won't be able to take it down and digest it. You have matured to the point where you can take the substantive things of the word of God, but it is both. It is milk to those who are young. It is the sustaining factor, the, the raw uh, uh, things that we live on as we are young in Christ, but it is also the meat, the weighty things that we chew on as we develop, as we grow, and as we are discipled. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 it's a good thing to study out the Bible every once in a while. Look at all the 316s, you know, John 316, Colossians 316. There are other 316 verses that are really important, and this is one of them. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. It's a command to people like us that the word of God would not only be a sustaining factor, but it would be something that dwells in us, lives in us, but in a rich fashion. That we would be so on fire with the word of God that it would be a part of who we are. When I'm faced with adverse scenarios, many times the word is what sustains me through it. In fact, most of the time it's what guides me through it. The first verse that pops up into my head many times is, no weapon formed against me shall prosper and any vain tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I shall condemn for this is the heritage of the children of God. I've memorized that verse not because I, I think it's something that's going to get me something from heaven, but it's a sustaining factor in my life that no matter what comes against me, I know no matter the plot of the enemy, no matter the plot of somebody else, no matter issues with my body, no matter financial struggles or hardships, that nothing that's plotted against me will be able to conquer the will and the purpose of God that's on the inside of me. That we take the word of God for its face value, that it becomes a sustaining factor. It becomes something that matures us when it is richly dwelling in us. When the word of God is so rich that it comes out in us. Sometimes it's all we can do just to say that God loves us and 
Sometimes it's all we can do to recite John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that means you, the individual, that he gave his only son, his prized possession, that he would sacrifice himself or die for us, that we wouldn't perish, that we wouldn't fall into a devil's hell when this life is over, but that we would have eternal life with him in heaven. For some of us, that's the, the premier verse that our life hangs on. It's a good one. John 3.16 isn't a throwaway verse. It's probably the pinnacle verse of all of Christian theology. That Jesus is the sustaining factor. He is what this whole thing is built around. And that he loves us so much that he gave himself freely. That he would free us from death, sin, hell, and the grave. That we wouldn't have to worry about where we would spend eternity, but we could be thankful that we will spend eternity in the arms of a loving Savior. All of that is encapsulated in one verse, but it might come out in the soft words that Jesus loves me. It might come out in the soft, nuanced ideas that I know there's a God out there, and though he feels distant at times, I know that he loves me because I've seen that John 3.16 hung over banners at football games. I've seen that John 3.16 plastered on billboards. I've seen someone mention that word uh, that just sticks out so heavy in my heart, those references of John 3.16. Whatever verse you have to cling to, for the word of God to be real and to dwell richly in you, cling to it. Whatever verse that you have to connect with so that the word of God becomes real and vital in your life, take hold of it, memorize it, take it in. And even if you can only memorize in part and you can't remember the reference, start where you are. Some of us are good with numbers and some of us not so good. So when I have to memorize scripture, it's not really easy for me to memorize the, the, the actual number sequence. Many times I get it all goofed up. In fact, I've messed it up on the slides a few times, especially early on when I wouldn't check myself when I was writing messages. I've messed it up a few times because I just can't, I, I mix up the numbers for some reason. But regardless of that, the facts are that the word of God is still true. The word of God is that hinge point. It's what should dwell richly in us so that we have a baseline to live this life from. The word of God is for maturity. I'm going to make a statement here that some of you I don't think you're going to like. The word of God is for maturity. It helps grow us. It's for purity. It helps keep us holy and steadfast in God's light and in God's arms. It's for certainty that we know that we have a definite ends to this life. We know that we have a definite ends to what God's called us to. There's a certainty in our walk. It's for victory that we would live this life victorious. The word of God is here so that you don't have to live life as a failure. You don't have to live life sick. You don't have to live life broken, but the promises of God can raise you up and fix all of those issues in your life. But the word of God is not for utility. The word of God is not simply to strong arm the savior of the world, to strong arm the God of heaven to getting what you want. The word of God is for maturity, to grow you where you are to where you can be in him. The word of God is for purity, to keep you in him, to keep you in his presence, to keep you in his will, to keep you in his way. It is for certainty that you know that you are walking the path that he's carved for you, that you know that the promises of God are yes and they are amen. amen. They are settled in heaven. The word of God is for victory, that you have utter and total victory because of all that's transpired in that in the pages of that leather-bound book, but it is not simply for utility. It is not a book that we use. These are not words that we use just to get what we want. 
These are words that we fall passionately in love with because the first thing it does is it changes us. The first thing the scriptures do is it rearranges our heart. It carves us into the image of our Savior. This is where maturity comes from, that we can learn to live life in the presence of Jesus, that we can learn to live life in the presence of our King. The Word brings consistency to our lives when life is chaotic, when life is upside down and backwards, when nothing seems to make sense. The only thing that settles the waves, the storms of our life is the Word of God. The truth of the Word of God is greater than the facts of our circumstances. Whatever, you, whatever you're encounter, encountering in today's life, whatever you're encountering in this world, whatever you might have encountered that is something difficult in this life, maybe it's, maybe it's a bad diagnosis, maybe it's a loss of a job, maybe it's financial situations that you don't think you can get out of, whatever you're facing, the truth of the word of God is always greater than your circumstances. Whatever the promise is, if the promise is that you are healed, it is greater than the diagnosis that the doctor's given you. If the word of God says that you are prosperous, it is greater than the red in your bank account. When we come to the facts that the word of God it's not something, it's not something that dismisses facts. It acknowledges the facts, but it realizes that we have a God who cares for us. And he cares for us so well that he's written in his word a way of escape from any situation, from any issue that we could find ourselves in. We find out how to address God and his word where the Holy Spirit brings life to it. It's called rhema. There's two, there's two concepts to the Word of God in, in the uh, Greek language. There's, um, yes, that's right. There's logos and rhema. I, thought I got my languages mixed up there for a second. Logos is the knowledge of the Word of God, that we use the Word of God as a tool to gain knowledge and understanding. But there's the rhema side where the Word of God is illuminated and it becomes life and light to us. Scripture divides it multiple times uh, when the, the writers are talking about the word. They'll use back and forth this concept of rhema or logos, the word, in different, in different phases in our life. Where at one point we can use the word of God as just a way to gain knowledge. We can gain a lot of understandings or facts about the Bible. We can gain tons of facts about Bible characters of who Jesus is, when he lived, where he walked, the miracles that he did, the cities that he was a part of, the subgroups that he was akin to. Yet that can do nothing for the life-giving power of the word of God that is the rhema side, the side that brings light and life, the side that illuminates not just who Jesus is, but what he is what he did, the God that we serve, that he becomes something more than just a story on these pages, but he becomes life and vitality. He becomes something of substance to each and every one of us. Point number two, the word of God confirms God's answers to us. See, we've all had dreams or longings in our hearts and God has answered every one of our dreams, every one of our longings with his word. 
Everything that you were dreaming of, everything that you were hoping for, everything in your life that you were believing for, God has answered somewhere in his word. Maybe you're believing for your family life just to get straightened out. You're believing for those broken relationships just to mend themselves and, and come back uh, to a different and better state. The answer is found in the word of God. Maybe you're believing for your health situation to change around. The answer is found in the word. Maybe you're believing for uh, an, invest, uh, an, an increase financially. The answer is always found in the word. Maybe you're believing for that one person to come into your life and, and you're single and you don't know how that you're going to find that one person that God's called you to marry and to connect with and to live this life with. The answer is always found in the word of God. The answer will be on his terms, though. The answer is not going to be on ours where we manipulate again. The word of God is utility, and we try to find just that one, that one verse and cut it out of context and try to apply it to our life and say, look here, I found my answer. No, nope. it's got to flow in full context to the word. I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. A friend of mine, good, good kid, young, when, this happened when we were younger. We were in our early 20s. We're both pursuing God and we're both actually pursuing the pastorate. And he believed with his whole heart that the Holy Spirit told him, don't work, don't work. God will take care of you, don't work, it's cool. And he found all these little verses where God sustained people, where God gave them all the, the, the stuff that they needed for life, where like the, the idea where the, the ravens brought food to God's prophet, or the idea where uh, manna was given from heaven and quail fell from the sky and God's people were fed. And he found all of these really cool nuanced verses to say, look, God will sustain me. But he forgot a verse. He forgot a verse that says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Good thing his parents were rich and could sustain him. Looked kind of like a miracle, but not really. The problem is, as a young man, he thought that he was doing the will of God by cutting out work so he could just apply himself to the word. Everything about that seemed good and right and righteous, but it was totally contrary to the word of God. God doesn't say one thing to one person in the word and then not apply it to you and your situation because somehow your standard is different. The answers to our questions, the answers to life's longings, the answers to the dreams of our heart will always be on his terms. I know there are things in God's word that, that he will covenant connect with me about, that he will cause a covenant to be cut between me and him, that there will be something in my heart that I know I'm believing for, that God will cut a strict covenant and say, boy, this is between you and me, and I'll make sure that it happens. I'll make sure that it happens, but it only happens through his way, his way, through his means. This is not twisting God's word or twisting his arm to get what we want. This is, this is not reminding God of what he said in hopes that he forgot and now he'll change his mind for your situation. See, I think that's how many of us use the word of God. We, we try to remind him, well, God, remember when he said this? Like he forgot. Well, God, remember in the Bible, you said these things, like somehow he doesn't remember what he said to a previous generation. Like somehow he doesn't remember what he has done. He is very well versed in his own history. We don't need to remind him. What we need to do is stand on the word of God as a promise. 
We need to stand on the word of God as a promise and not a trigger to get what we want and not a trigger to fulfill selfish desires. We need to stand on the word of God knowing that it's for us, that his promises are yes and amen, that anything he's carved out in the word of God that is ours, that we can go after because it is set and it is solid and not because we're trying to manipulate. When Jesus quoted the Torah, you can look at that in Matthew chapter four and four, obviously, where he said, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, if you need the reference for that. But Jesus had memorized the word of God. He knew what it said. He wasn't guessing. He knew exactly what the words were. When he was tempted, when he was hungry, when he was faced with adversity, when he's in the desert all alone, and he needed ammunition to push off the enemy, he knew the exact words of the Torah. He knew exactly what they meant. He didn't take them out of context. He didn't manipulate him. They were not only on his mind, but the words of God were hidden in his heart. We need to come to this place where the word of God is so on fire within us that it's not only on our head and in our mind and in our brain, but it's hidden away in our heart that's hidden away so, so deeply, so far in the recesses of our heart that when life pushes back, we fire back with godly principles, that we fire back with principles of scripture, that we fire back with what the word says in total context, because we've studied. Psalms chapter 119 and 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you that we hide God's word deep in the recesses of our heart, that we may not, that we should not, that we shall not sin against him. You know, right now in the rest of the world, not everything is going well for Christians, particularly in China. We have a friend of ours I graduated um, college with who is uh, a missionary in China. He started a church in China, kind of an underground church. Well, not kind of, it is. Because he's not Chinese, there's not a lot they can do about it. He's an American citizen. He's on a lot of the television shows there in China. They love him. His mother-in-law is a, is a Chinese citizen. His wife is a Chinese citizen. And he's a big guy. In fact, they call him 400. That should tell you how big he is. They call him 400 in Chinese. He's a big guy. And Joey does a skit with his, with his mother-in-law where she's feeding him dumplings and it's on Chinese national television. I mean, this is all over the place. And people know him around Beijing as 400. There's 400. And he started this church, this underground church, and he's watching Chinese people, the nationals, slowly bleed out of the church that they founded. People from other countries and other nations are free to come, but they've slowly bled out of his church. Because the Chinese government is pushing down hard on Christians. In fact, they're pushing down hard on all faiths. Literally, there are a million Muslims right now in re-education camps in China. Just so you know how hard it is. They're not just re-educating them. These are like concentration camps. This is a travesty around the world that the rest of the world should be shouting about, but they're afraid. But there are men and women in this context, Christian men and women, who have hidden the words so deep in their heart, they've memorized it so much that their thoughts are that even if I can't attend church, and even if the Chinese government tries to drive Christianity out, that they can't steal what I've implanted in my heart. He has men and women in his church who have memorized the gospels. 
All four of the Gospels totally memorized every story verbatim. They have memorized them because of fear that the Chinese government will take away their Bibles, because of fear that the Chinese government will come in and take away what they've, what they've been given, the promises of Scripture. This is what it means to hide the word in our heart, that we would hide it so deeply, so far in the recesses, that regardless of what happens in our government and in our culture, that nothing will steal away the word. This idea that I might not sin against you is written in Psalms is not about the concept that we would afflict an offense towards God. It's about the idea that we would walk away from his word. I have hidden it so deep in my heart that I can't separate myself from it. We, likewise, as individuals, need to get a handle on the Word of God just like Jesus did. We need to read it. We need to engage with it. And we need to invest it into our lives. We need to come to a place where we are investing the Word of God every single week, every single day into our lives. The key to victory in this life is investing the Word. So that when you step back and you look at a situation and you're praying and you're believing, that you can look at the horizon and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And you can be reminded of Scripture. Okay, this is what you've said. This is where you've led us before. This is what your word says. This is the promise of God. So you don't have to step back in life and think, where will I go? What path will I take? No, God has shown you a clear-cut path in his word and that we need to learn to make the word of God so real, so relevant, so on fire in our hearts that we know what it says and that we can trust it. We all have experiences in our life where we've hit the wilderness where we feel alone, where we feel weak, where we have real opposition. See, Jesus was in a wilderness moment. He was all by himself. He's fasting for 40 days. He's walking those, those desert hills. He feels alone and isolated and weak and separate. Yet the only thing that sustained him through that through that moment was the word of God. It's what he ran to first. He didn't run to the idea that he was king of kings and lord of lords and tell the devil, shut up because of my authority. No, he ran first to the word of God and said, this is what the word says, and I will not violate this covenant. I will not violate these words. Point number three, God's word is the key to victory and certainty. God's word is the key. If you want real total life victory, if you want certainty that you will win every single time you are challenged, it only comes by way of the word of God. There is something that is sustainable. It's, it's a continual foothold that we have in God's word. There's something that gives us a placement, a bedrock where we can move from, where we can lunge from, if any of you were ever into sports, and particularly football, you know footwork is very important. When I, was in, uh, when I was in high school and I was playing football, it was one of the things that I lacked a lot of early on. It's kind of like two left feet. Again, I blame my mother. It's her genetics. It's funny, both of our boys don't have a whole lot of, whole lot of help. Neither lawyer or I are very athletic at all. Uh, so I kind of wonder what's going to happen with them. I'm sure they'll try hard, but that only gets you so far. And we both have kind of this two left feet issue going on. We, we took many, many, many dance classes so that we could do this wonderful dance for our wedding. And when the time came, we were both so nervous, all we could do is grab each other like two junior hires and swing back and forth. 
<laughs> it's so true. It's exactly what happened. So I was playing football, and, and the coaches are telling me, you got to have better footwork. you got to have those choppy feet. you got to learn how to move. you got to be light on your feet. I'm thinking, I'm 230-some pounds as a junior. How am I going to be light on my feet? This ain't going to work, coach. And you keep feeding me pizza, so it's not getting any easier. And the coach told me, you need to take up a, an extracurricular activity. So I started uh, with a friend of mine. We, we had already, already done a few years worth of, of martial arts classes, and we started working a little more on footwork in these martial arts classes, and I got a little better. And so my senior year, I was much better than I was my junior year. But I remember being there and in that football stance, and your, your legs are about as wide as your shoulders, and you kind of creep down and get your butt down and get your knees bent and then get into your formation and put that one hand out in front of you so that you can be ready to pop up and block or pop up and push depending on what side of the ball you're on. And I, I recognized that all of the mechanics were there except when I pushed, nothing happened because my feet weren't moving. I pushed with my legs, I pushed with my hips, I pushed with my hands, I pushed with my arms, but my feet weren't moving. And I recognized that if I was gonna have any power, any sustainability to move the ball, to move the line, to do my job, but I had to start with the smallest step is my footwork. In our lives, it's the same thing, that the word of God is certainty. It's the footwork. It's that baseline that we push off of. It's that standing point. It's those brackets that we get into when we're about to run a sprint or we just angle our foot just the right way so we can push off and have explosive power. The word of God is the starting point for everything in life. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms chapter 119 and verse 6. It says, I'll not be ashamed when the word becomes a way of life to me. I won't be ashamed when the word of God becomes the way I live this life. I won't be ashamed when the word of God is what dictates all my actions. I won't be ashamed when the word of God becomes the guidepost to everything that I do. There's certainty that comes with direction and counsel from the word, that we're not worried, we're not ashamed because we know what God's word says. When we work this out in our life, it, it looks a little bit like we're being told what to do. It looks a little bit like we're giving over all of the effects of this life to someone else, that we're giving over all of our decisions to someone else. And some people have taken it too far. Every morning they get up and they ask the Holy Spirit, should I eat Cheerios or Frosted Flakes? He don't care. They're both sugary cereals. He could give a rip. But some of us have gone too far the other way and we won't pray about anything. We won't study the word of God about anything. We just look at the data and we try to make the best decision possible. Listen, you can make a decision that's a good decision and that's not a God decision and it'll fall right on its face. You make a decision that's a God decision. You make a decision that isn't a shame to be moved by way of the word of God. When we moved into this building, one of the things we were determined on is that we were not going to do a business deal with anyone that wasn't a Christian. That's hard to do when you're looking for a realtor sometimes. Because there's guys that will tell you, well, I'm a Christian. When you go to church, like every third Easter... Like, are you, maybe we need to think about your idea and my idea of what a Christian is. So God led us to an individual who's a realtor who could do, who could do commercial real estate who is not only a Christian, he's a pastor on the side. 
I knew this was a good opportunity when Dave entered the picture that he would help us because the word of God says, do not fall under the counsel of the ungodly. If someone's going to counsel you on a business decision, you better be darn sure that they're a believer, at least to some extent or another, because if they're not, they're just in it to make a buck, and making a buck could cost you everything. But if we know the people that we're in business with are believers, we know that there's a kingdom mentality that's far above that. That's why the word says here in Psalms chapter 119 and verse 6, I'm not ashamed when the word becomes a way of life. Listen, I'm not ashamed to tell a realtor, I can't do business with you. I'm not ashamed to tell a banker, I can't do business with you. I'm not ashamed to tell someone in the construction fields, I can't do business with you because you're not a Christian. You don't understand the principles that I'm going after. You don't understand what we're trying to do here. Therefore, I can't involve you in this process. We need to come to a place where we recognize that the word of God, the value in the word of God is living out its principles every single day of our life. Psalms chapter 119 and verse 105, your way is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God gives us light in immediate circumstances and for the long haul. Everything in the word of God, everything in the scripture is a light into our path for the immediate circumstances and for the journey. Have you ever noticed your headlights on your car that when you flick those on and you're on a dark, dark interstate, you can see about what? 100 yards in front of you? But those, those headlights, even though they can only see about 100 yards in front of you, they can only illuminate about 100 yards ahead of you, they can get you on a journey from point A to point B, even if it's thousands of miles in the dark. See, you don't need to know the total path. You just need to know your next steps. Yet God is so prepared in the word that he will structure it so that you see your next steps, but that he also has your end result in mind. That you'll see the next steps and what he's called you to do as you study the word of God, but you'll also have a path laid out for you that's thousands and thousands of miles long because the journey is what matters, not the destination. I gotta hurry up. Psalms chapter uh, 19 and verse seven, it says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That when God speaks to us through the word of God, that you can be one of the, you, man, you can be dumb as a brick. You can be like the, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And he'll take someone who is simple-minded and make you very wise. Very wise when we apply the standard of the word of God to our problems, to our issues, and to our life. His word gives us help and direction in areas and in experiences that lay ahead in life. His word gives us counsel for the daily and the weekly issues of this life. His word is what guides and directs us. Man, I'll tell you what, there are so many people that ask time and again when they come to this thing of Christianity, and they say, how often should I read the Bible? And you say, every day. They're like, really, what should I read? Start in John. Okay, once I get done with John, what else should I read? Matthew, Mark, Luke. Okay, after that, read the whole New Testament. And you keep going on with them in this track of what they should read and what they should study. And eventually I get this comment, well, when do I get a break? And I always think you get a break when you want to stop being guided by the Holy Spirit. You get a break when you want to hit a brick wall. You get a break when you want the progression of your life to slow down to a crawl. You get a break whenever you want to come to a place where God and his word isn't primary. That's when you get a break. 
But if you want to move quickly, when you want to move with sure footing and sure feet, when you want to know that God is in front of you, that he's cutting and carving your path, that he's lighting it up, then never fall away from the word of God. Point number four, God's word is a key to purity. If you want to know how to keep yourself pure in his sight, if you want to know how to keep yourself in, in covenant with God to where he hears you all the time, every time your prayers are uttered, you know that they're reaching heaven's throne and you can feel it with everything in you. When you want to know that God is so close to you that even when you whisper, he's quick to respond, that you want to know that your relationship is so tight that you can roll over in the morning and say, what's up, Jesus? And he can say, what's up, my son, my daughter? When you want to know you have a God you can talk to, it's the word of God that creates that environment. In Psalms chapter 119, D.L. Moody actually gave a, a little bit of a, of a, of a I, I guess you could say a paraphrase of the verse. And he said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And it's so true. This book will keep us pure in heart and mind indeed. If we study the word of God, there will be things in our life that just fall off. Listen, people have asked us and they ask us consistently, how do I get away from drug addiction? Read the word. How do I get away from alcohol addiction? Read the word. How do I get away from addiction to pornography? Read the word. How do I get away from these things, these sins, these weights that seem to want to collect around my neck and slow me down? Read the word. It's the only way, it's the, tr it's the truest way and it's the surest way. But I also know this, that every sin in life keeps us from reading the word. The moment we sin, the word is the farthest thing from us when it should be the thing we run to. The moment we fall into temptation, we don't feel like cracking open that leather-bound Bible and reading the words of Jesus, but it should be the number one thing that we run to. The number one way to find forgiveness is to dive deep into the word of God and see that he loves you and that he cares for you. That just like this song we sang this morning, that it feels like coming home for the first time in a long time. I love that song because it, it teaches us a story of the prodigal son. That this son who was far from God, who had, or far from his father, who had spent his entire wealth and squandered it, realized that he needed to come back to his father's good graces and he ran home and the moment his father sees him he runs as fast as he can to embrace this boy he throws a robe over him meaning he covers him he throws a kiss on his cheek meaning that he accepts him back and he loves him and he throws a ring on his finger meaning that he gives him his authority the authority that comes from being in his father's house everything in that story happens to you every moment we turn back to god in our sin in our brokenness in our failings if you read the word of god if you moment those scriptures pour over you it's like that story of the prodigal son happening in your life that he accepts you where you are that he loves you that he throws a robe over you and that gives you that authority to be part of the kingdom of God again that we don't have to wonder and worry even in our sin state if God accepts us or approves of us he loves you just the way you are he approves of you as a human person in the way he has created you he might not approve of your lifestyle he might not approve of your decisions but he loves you too much to keep you at arm's length and the word of God is what helps bring us back into communion with him the infusion the incarnation of the word of God in our lives brings maturity, 
It brings growth. It brings life. It brings victory. It brings certainty. It brings purity. Get a handle on the word of God and let the Holy Spirit bring it to life in you. Get a handle on this word. Let it become like fire in your belly. Listen, it starts with the simple things. Where do you start reading? If you haven't read your word, if you haven't read the Bible in a while, pick it up. Pick it up in the app. If you have your phone, download the Bible app. If you have an iPad or some other tablet, download the Bible app. If you have a physical copy, crack that thing open to John. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. If you're not a reader, that's fine. Open up the app and allow the word just to be spoken over you. One chapter at a time, it doesn't take much, but start with John. Once you've gotten done with John, go to Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Once you've gotten done with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then start reading from Romans on through the New Testament. That'll take you about a year's time if you'll decide to do about a chapter a day, a little more than that. It'll take you about a year's time. I guarantee you in a year's time of allowing the word of God to be spoken over you, to be poured over you, to be read and to consume your life every single day, I guarantee you, you'll be in a different place than you are today. I guarantee you that as you allow this process to happen, there'll be maturity, there'll be growth, you'll see victory, there'll be certainty. Everything in your life will start to run on an even keel. Why is that? Because God's word is true. Because his promises are yes and amen, meaning that he said it, he established it in heaven, and that amen means that it is sealed in the heavenlies, that God himself will stand by what he said. His word is true. It is yes. It is affirmative. It is for you, and it is amen. It is established in heaven. So today, my challenge is read the word of God. If you didn't get anything out of this today, I hope you got that. Don't let the Bible grow dark. Don't let its pages grow dark. Whether you feel far from him because of sin or whether you feel close to him today and you're not sure what tomorrow may bring, don't close off the word of God. It's the number one thing that that, that fixes all of our ailments. It's the number one medication to all of our pains. The word of God is the one thing that if you'll be consistent with, I guarantee you will change your life forever. You can pray all day, every day. Air day. That's how serious I want to get. You can pray all day, every day, and not get what you're going to get out of the Word of God. You can give of your time, your talent, your treasure to the extent that you have no money left and you have no time left and you feel broken and worn out and it won't change your life the way the Word of God will. The one thing that changes your life more than anything in our Christian discipled behavior is reading the Word of God. Make it a pattern, make it a habit. Stick to it. It'll take fire in your heart. And if you're far off, don't get in condemnation. If you miss a day, don't get under condemnation. Just pick back up. That's the wonderful thing about the word of God. It never changes. It's already been written out and established. And if you just go back to it, you can pick up where you left off. It will literally be the loving arms of your father welcoming you as you run back home. Get invested. Get involved in the word of God. Amen.